0: Welcome to Bite Size, brought to you by Priestley's Gourmet Delights. Each episode will bring you ideas, news, and insights into the food service industry with a bite-size summary. I'm Zani Christofferson and I will be your host. Running a cafe business is an amazing experience, though it doesn't come without its challenges. Most business owners are incredibly time poor, juggling many aspects of the business from cash flow to social media, to ordering stock, and the list goes on. In this episode, we talk to Liam McLaughlin and provide some tangible and practical tips for you to consider. Liam is an experienced executive chef and senior partner at Global Hospitality Group. Liam's specialty as a consultant chef with a demonstrated history of working with the hospitality industry to achieve effective and profitable outcomes. He is skilled in new menu and product development, catering, food and beverage, front of house, hospitality management, HACCP controls and team management, and he is well regarded within the Australasian food service industry. He has been at the core of the industry leading events and progress for over 10 years, as well as 20 years in hospitality. Welcome, Liam. It's great to have you here.
1: Thanks very much, Sandy. Pleasure to be here.
0: So, Liam, it's fair to say that the hospitality industry has been on quite the roller coaster in the last few years. You are immersed in our industry. What are you hearing is the outlook and the sentiment of you and cafe owners?
1: Thank you, Zaddy. It's, you know, there's a lot of sentiment out there, that's for sure. There's there's a lot yeah. of people, you know, somewhat doing it tough, somewhat struggling, and then also some doing, you know, really, really well. You know, in my opinion, from what I've seen and heard you know, stability is, is is probably the word that I would look to that overarches everything, you know, from staff to, you know, customers, operation hours and suppliers. Just getting stability so they can manage everything else that's part of their business is probably the, the, the hurting point at the moment.
0: Yeah, I can understand that. It's um, I think it's a challenge for all businesses, not just for cafe owners, right? Correct, correct. And so what's on their worry list?
1: staffing is still continues to be a big one. I think we're finally getting a little bit more consistency with staff. There's, there's less, you know, manoeuvring at the moment, but in saying that, it's still really hard to find them. Um, yeah. So, you know, retaining is one thing, finding is another. Um, but then with that staff movement, you know, there's a lot of flow on effects that, you know, cause a lot of stress levels for for managers and, and owners, not just like you said, of cafes, but with the entire um, hospitality industry and so many other industries as well. But, you know, what we found is that there's a lot of um, transition, I guess, with staff at the moment. Um, you know, staff are being offered better money, you know, sometimes elsewhere, and rightly so. And so, you know, they they go after whether it's money or better conditions to yes. suit them. So the onflow of that transitionary, you know, workforce is just creating a lot of stress levels, which then creates, you know, the onflow of stress is therefore, you know, people not not able to work as well. So you know, it it's a bit of a cycle at the moment, and it is going round and round. But I think you know now that we're twelve months on from you know from pretty much the last full lockdown, both here and in. Victoria Melbourne and, and throughout the rest of the country and globally you know we're now seeing that you know that there is life beyond COVID and now that we've had a good 12 months of it we know that this you know is where things hopefully will be going for the foreseeable future and therefore you know we've come out of this point where it's all been very reactionary we're just making sure that we're open this week next week and, and so on that we know that things are going to be open you know going forward fingers crossed, and therefore we can start to plan and to develop and put in some good building blocks for the future.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Are there any cafes out there that you've seen that have different recruitment strategies or staff attraction strategies that are doing a really good job?
1: Yeah, look, some are working, some aren't. You know, the traditional yeah. avenues of advertising are still used, but definitely far less effective than what they were. But we were seeing that a lot, you know, pre COVID too. As if I could give you an example, one of my business partners, Peter Wright, um, who used to work at the MCG and be operations manager for Spotless many years ago, if you put out an advertisement, he would get 100 chefs applied for for a single position. Whereas these days, you know, you're lucky if you can get, you know, say five decent ones. You might get 50, but, you know, pretty quickly you can disregard a high percentage of them. Networking is always, you know, in my opinion, you know, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And although you may not be able to find people as quickly as what you would like um, through networking, you normally find better quality and more suited applicants uh, for roles. So, you know, it's it's always word of mouth. You know, and it's not just yourself. You know, it's speaking to your staff who obviously work in in hospitality and therefore have a few other hospitality mates and friends and and possibly family. You know, once you you start to develop that network that's when I find that that you tend to find the right people for, for the right jobs and, and applications.
0: Yeah, certainly I can relate to that in our industry as well. I'm curious to find out, though, are you seeing base rates increase as well, so cost to employee increasing?
1: Yes, yeah, so I, I guess there's a combination there between expectations from what people are now expecting to see yep. in conjunction with inflation and just the the general cost of of you know of having an employee these days. So there's an understanding since COVID that you know everything's sort of gone up, say eight to ten percent, mm-hmm. and then you know that's that's I guess what you could call an instant pay rise. And then you know anything above there is is what you can sort of negotiate on your own. And you know some people are better at that than others. Some people are more specifically targeted in their roles than others, but There is certainly, you know, more of an understanding these days of of being able to to get more for your your skills and services.
0: Yeah, we're certainly seeing it in our industry as well as I'm, I'm sure you are. So I'm curious to discuss these in a bit more detail in a moment though and I'd like to get your thoughts on what's happening in other markets. So you were just in the UK. What do you see in other markets in terms of their bounce back from COVID? And if you could share a little bit about the food and hospital trends that you've seen in your travels and what you're hearing more about, which may be coming to our shores.
1: Yeah, so I've been lucky to do a fair bit of travel this year, both um, into the UK and then I also do a fair bit of travel into Southeast Asia as well. But I guess the UK, the US are fantastic examples of regions that have just opened up and bounced back. I don't think bouncing back is the appropriate word, but certainly opened up. They're a good six months ahead of where we are here in, in Australia. So when I was there over their summer months on, on a couple of trips, COVID was almost a you know something that that you couldn't see on the surface level, but below the surface level, they were all still having the same issues that we were having in in staffing levels, being able to stay open and and service their customers to the same volume levels that they were pre COVID. And then there were all the other issues you know, associated with hospitals and, and, and government operating their services as well. So they were out, they were open, um, they were enjoying their summer, but at the same time they were also struggling a lot. If we look at, um, say, Malaysia, where I spend a lot of my time as well, they were a lot slower to open up. They were still you know, doing quite well with their vaccination rates, but they were a lot more hesitant to opening up. Asia was hit considerably hard and you know there's a there's a large difference between you know the countries that could deal with those financial hits and the countries that that couldn't and I guess they weren't able to open up as quickly as what they would have liked and you know you can see where they're at and they're probably you know another 3 or 4 months behind us so I guess what we're we're seeing there is different regions are are opening up and and bouncing back if we can use that term at different levels which makes everything very interesting. So if we look at that as an example, most people in general, the trends that we're seeing are not the traditional trends that we would see in say you know a new superfood or a new you know dehydrated powder product or flavor or color or or even a, a cuisine of some sort. The trends that I'm seeing are people, you know, using methods and, and ways of, of managing their business. Yeah. Any product now that, that sort of comes either pre-cooked or pre-sealed or pre-portioned, pre-rolled, you know, whatever it might be, it's those sorts of products that chefs are, are really screaming for. Yeah. Just because they don't have the staff for those extra steps of, of methods that they would have in, in their kitchens now. So, you know, anything that can come... You know, we've always talked about value-add products. You know, traditionally they were, you know, pre-shredded or pre-sliced or pre-portioned, and now that's just been taken to the next step. So a lot of operators are looking for, you know, par-cooked foods, for instance, where they can just be heated to a certain temperature and served.
0: With par-cooked food, is that because then the chef can add to it, so to speak, and feel like they've finished it off?
1: Yeah, i I've got a, a a good colleague of mine who you know hand on heart he's he's a fantastic chef and he's got another ten years of experience on me. Also does a lot of consulting work, but he he came to the realization many years ago that not everything has to be cooked in your kitchen from from the ground up. You know it's fantastic mm-hmm. if if you can and you know if if that if you have a successful business doing so and you've got enough staff to sustain it then fantastic. But the realistic reality is that most operations don't have that that luxury. So they do have to buy in, you know, a lot of products. And as bad as it sounds, if I take it out of the box, put it on the plate, give it a little, little bit of love, like you said, finish it off with some, you know, with some textures and flavours and sauces and, you know, fresh items, you're still making it your own. Yeah. You know, it's just not made 100%. But then again, you know, if most operations and chefs and, and restaurants and, and the like were honest, they'd probably you know, admit to that being about 90 or 95% of their menu. So, But that's just the realistic nature of being able to operate a business with reduced staff and, and numbers these days and still staying open as much as they can.
0: Yeah, interesting. I also find that it's a great way to control costs, right? Control costs and control waste, which is uh, I see as one of our biggest um, challenges as well is, is, you know, how do we help and partner with people to really make sure that they understand the cost of their product And also minimise waste.
1: Absolutely. You got it spot on. Um, You know, the control cost is probably, you know, one thing that can get away the easiest from you. If you're ordering in a bag of flour and a bag of chocolate and everything else that goes into, you know, that tart or that cake or whatever it is that you're making and then, you know, you obviously don't use 100% of each of those products, it's very hard to cost it out. Whereas, you know, if you're buying it in, you know, a dozen or a couple of dozen per carton, you know exactly down to the, you know, to the cent, exactly what that cake is costing you, both today when you cost it and next month and next, you know, semester or next year, that price per unit doesn't change. So, you know, that's yeah. that's the best one, especially for your small operations that are trying to, you know, give their customers a great variety of food but they obviously don't have the expertise or the staff to to manage all those items in-house themselves.
0: Yeah. And also, I guess, inflationary pressures coming on. It's, you know, best to understand your cost and and understand what margins you make on those products. So I'm a little bit jealous that you've actually got to go traveling. Feels like Australia's been insular since COVID. So it sounds like there's some great stuff happening and certainly some things to consider for Aussie end users. So let's get back to what's on their worry list. And if there are any ideas that you can offer to help abate them.
1: We get this question a lot from operators, just particularly when we're at the Cafe School as well. And if I can give a quick call out the Cafe School, if people are in, you know intending on on um, attending the Sydney Food Service Australia uh, trade show at the end of this month, the whole premise behind Cafe School is that obviously you don't have to operate or, or be part of a cafe operation. In my opinion, a cafe is sort of a hybrid of of every component of of the hospitality industry. So, you know, there's a little bit of restaurant in there, there's a little bit of bistro, there's a little bit of bakery, there's a little bit of bar in there, and then there's also, you know, obviously lots of, of coffee as well. So to me a cafe is is something that, you know, sort of hits the spot across all those areas. So therefore I think it's relevant. The sessions that we run are relevant to all parts of the industry. But the whole premise behind it is that whatever we present or demonstrate is something that that those attending can, you know, implement in their business within, say, a 24 to 48-hour period. We make a point of not using highly specialised equipment or expertise or skills. So, you know, literally you could order the components, you know, whether they're ingredients from your fruit and veg or your dry or frozen supplier and get it onto your menu within a relatively, you know, quick and, and easy process. So, with that in mind, Whenever we speak to operators, one of the first things we look at are their menus and their ingredients that they're using. Um, and streamlining your menu um, is probably one of the first things you can do that will have significant benefits. Um, obviously, it reduces the, the, the amount of prep that the kitchen or, or the back of house team are having to prepare. Um, And therefore, they can focus on, on the quantities and, you know, rather than having to do vast varieties, they can streamline things a little bit. It also means that the pantry list or the ingredients that you're going to be ordering in are going to be reduced a little bit as well. So, you know, the outlying ingredients that you only order in for one menu item, you might get rid of those and look at items on your pantry list that are used in maybe two or possibly three different recipes. And therefore you will instantly start to reduce your your cost of goods and that has a great benefit, like I said. So the team are obviously able to prepare your ingredients better. Um, They'll be better prepared for each service. With any luck, they'll probably do a couple of less hours as well. And then, of course, your cost of goods will, will come down too. With that in mind, you know, the other one that I bring up a lot and that is communication and that's, you know, obviously from the top down, from the owners and managers, through to, you know, the, the day-to-day staff, but both front and back of house as well. You know, I see a lot of operations where where front and back of house sort of operate somewhat isolated from each other and they only, you know, come together when they absolutely have to. But I think crossing over and having better communication from all levels definitely makes everybody feel more involved. Um, you know, they, they know what's happening within the business they can therefore understand and, you know, be a little bit more flexible with the operations at the end of the day. Um, and it generally just creates a better atmosphere.
0: Certainly, they're some of the challenges that we have in our own business as well. So, you know, I can attest to simplifying ingredients lists and um, reducing cogs where it makes sense. Mm. And then also, I totally agree, communications, you can't have enough of it, right? Correct. You are listening to Bite-Sized, insights for the food service industry. Brought to you by Priestley's Gourmet Delights. Liam, what is the biggest opportunity for our end users to think about within the next 12 months?
1: Yeah, good question. There's, there's a lot of great product out there at the moment. And, you know, if I can give another pun to the Food Service Australia show, you'll see lots of fantastic new products that are out there. You know, there's been a lot of people who have been had a little bit of spare time on their hands over the last couple of years, and now they're just starting to get those those ideas into production and, and out there. So, you know, there'll be lots of fantastic, whether it's ingredients or, or machinery or equipment or tools or just, you know, different ways of of managing your business. There's lots of great ideas out there now, which I think is is the right time to be embracing it. Um, But generally, I think the biggest opportunity that people need to look at within their own business is trying to do more with less. And I guess that goes back to my point before about streamlining their menus, Um, you know, potentially buying in products that are in some way have had some sort of value add component to it and therefore trying to create a better quality product whilst not, you know, adding to the amount of time that that they're already spending either in the kitchen or, you know, working on some component of their business. So, you know, what we're seeing out there now with value-add products, whether it's a pre-cooked food, you know, a pastry from the guys at Priestley's or, you know, a sauce or, or a cream product, there's so much out there now that's available That is designed to do a lot more whilst obviously not creating more work for your team. I think opening up the doors and and the blinkers a little bit to what's out there and realising that there's actually some great product out there, that they're not going against their brand name or what their business is known for, that there are some good quality products out there that doesn't mean that they are subsidising on on quality and taste and and, what they're trying to sell to their customers at the end of the day.
0: Yep, some great insights there. So, Liam, we've covered a fair few topics today. Thank you for your insights. I've thrown a few questions your way, um, giving you the opportunity now to throw a couple of questions back at me.
1: Oh, fantastic. I love this part of the interview. <laughs> now, look, I, I guess one thing that I've always enjoyed in my career and that is, you know, I'm, I, I like to know my strengths as much as my weaknesses. and being able to turn them around. So I guess I'd like to ask you in your professional career, has there been a weakness that you've identified or somebody may have helped you identify that you could then turn into a strength? Yeah, sure.
0: So naturally I'm going to answer with a no, absolutely not. Is, that's my <laughs> first response. Um, but when i uh, on reflection, it is a great question. And uh, yes, of course, there has been. So initially in my career, I focused on the detail too much. So, you know, really focused on perfection rather than progress. And I think uh, progress is far better than perfection. So, you know, a couple of things that I found that helped me turn my weakness into a a strength was working on lead KPIs to determine if the project or the strategy was on track Mm -hmm. and then checking in with myself and then reflecting on the bigger picture to ensure that I could still enable my teams to complete the quality work but also make sure that they're on track
1: yeah absolutely I, I guess there's a bit of micro and a bit of macro to that isn't there yeah um, yeah but yeah yeah
0: It's definitely a tough one, I think, as you come out of, well, university into, you know, your your career that you want everything to be perfect and Mm -hmm. I think um, there's a massive release when you realise that progress is better than perfection Mm -hmm. and then um, sometimes you just need to test and play, right? Like that's what we're all about is having a crack at it, seeing if something sticks and if it does, great, and if it doesn't then how do we reinvigorate to make sure that it does stick?
1: And in saying that, you know, I guess from a chef's perspective, we need to be as humble as possible and realise that my taste or my perfection level, you know, may not be, you know, the client or or the customers at the end of the day. So, you know, even when you think that you're aiming for the perfection, nine times out of ten, there will have to be some sort of re-evaluation or or editing or, or updating along the way. So, you know, and yet you've spent However, you know, additional hours and, and energy on, on trying to perfect something when, like you said, you know, if, you, if you're if you able to get it out there and get it moving and, you know, potentially yep. update it as you go or fix it as, as you can, you're far better off.
0: That's sometimes where the innovation happens as well, right, is that you get something out there, someone else sees it and they go, oh, my God, you can do this. You can do that with it. What Have you thought about that? And you're like, no, I, no, no, I haven't. But, yeah, great point. Let's go with that. So, yeah, good yeah, question. Yeah, it's always
1: interesting when you give a new product to people and, yeah, your, your mind is constantly blown. There was a product I was working on many years ago. Luckily, I was working quite closely with a, you know, development and, and technical team at a dairy company and they came up with a butter that you know, sort of represented clarified butter, but it was taken to another level and the the proteins in the butter were caramelised. Mm, so the butter tasted and smelt like butterscotch and honeycomb. Yep. And you gave it to chefs and they thought it was the duck's nuts. It was the most amazing thing because the flavour profile of yep. it was 100%, maybe 200% better than butter, you know, and butter yep. is already one of the best, you know, things. Everything tastes better with butter.
0: Salted um, butter.
1: It's, yes, correct.
0: It must it, be salted.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so a couple of weeks and months after we you know, we we sampled this product with many great chefs around the country, we put a lot of work into it, I kept getting calls and phone calls to say, you know, so when's it going to be available? When can I start ordering it? And unfortunately, as part of the process, you know, the, we couldn't even make it in the end because the, the cost of goods to get it to the market were too high. Yeah. But it was just one of those amazing things that, you know, once you gave it to them, the spectrum of ideas was was way beyond anything I could have imagined. Yeah, right. I've got one go. more question if, uh, on. if you don't mind. And, go look, it. it's it's a foodie one. So obviously you come from a, a bit of a family of sweet tooths. Yeah. What's your go-to dessert dish and does it come out of a box?
0: Well, that, that was going to be my question. So is it a Priestley's dessert or is it something that I make myself?
1: It's, it's your dessert. can be anything.
0: Uh, I would never make it because it's too technically hard for me, but vanilla slices is definitely a good go-to for me. So I'm a textures person. I mm. love I love food. I'm a big, passionate foodie. So from a vanilla slice perspective, I really like the crunch of the pastry sheets. Um, ours has a ganache on it, so a, a white chocolate ganache yes. um, with feathering through it. So that sort of, um, I guess, is a, a key di- differentiator in the marketplace. And just the cream custard is mm. amazing. The vanilla cream custard is amazing. So it, you get the crunch, the, the chocolate and the custard.
1: Yeah. But if
0: I was to make it myself, uh, you know what is is my all-time favourite is just the basic tea cake. It just hot, warm, cinnamon, mm. uh, sugar, butter. Like how can you go wrong?
1: No, you can't. You can't. Y-
0: you can't. Spoiler. And you can make it like in 15 minutes flat and mm. then it's what, a 40-minute bake time or something like that. So that's probably my two favourites.
1: Yeah, the, the, the classics and the the keep it simples are yeah. exactly the same in my book too. I mean, yeah, look, unfortunately as a chef, you, you, everything, you know, runs away a little bit and you've got to add a little bit of this and a little bit of that and, you know, yeah. it, it just keeps sprouting. But you're right, you know, it's they're the ones, particularly for family, um, yeah. you know, or anyone really, you know, um, customers are like family too.
0: Yeah. They're the
1: ones that I think speak volumes too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I find with the classic tea cake, you've got the crunch still because it's usually crunchy on top and then you've got the lather of butter. Delicious. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Liam, well, that's it for today. So I'd like to share with the audience that that you and I will be on stage at the FSA Cafe School. So come down and visit us. We're at 2.45pm daily, so on the 23rd, the 24th and the 25th of October, and we look forward to seeing you all then.
1: Absolutely. Can't wait. See you then. Awesome.
0: Thanks, Liam. Thanks, Addie. Thank you for listening to today's Bite-Sized episode. We hope you got some industry insights and tips for your business. Subscribe to our podcast and tune in to our next episode. Feel free to reach out to me for any comments and questions via LinkedIn.